1: How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of, Gosh, every time we shoot Game Nights and then I do the show, I always want to say Game Nights. Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lequai. And I'm DJ. Boy, falling apart already, have, DJ. Have you been
2: working hard, Josh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long few days, but, but I'm excited because this was your idea, and I think it's something our show doesn't do enough, which is talk about budget. Budget stuff, cheaper cards. We're We're pretty well known and we get called out on it sometimes and rightfully so for like often talking about the very expensive cards. I
2: think there needs to be some balance, you know, you give the high roller episodes, you need a few budget episodes thrown in there.
1: Yeah, I think that is definitely fair and I'm glad you're here to pull us in that direction. I'm sure the audience will be glad too. (laughs) Now you're going to hear about some budget cards today because we're going to be talking about the, we each made a list of our top five budget blue cards If you hear any on the list that you like and want to get a hold of, I would encourage you to go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you order your cards, singles, anything at all, you're supporting this podcast, Game Nights, all of our content. We super appreciate it. And while you're there, I keep talking about these. Have you sleeved up any of your decks in the new sleeves yet?
2: No, I haven't. Uh, I did
1: one of my Simic decks. Because we got some uh, some Simic ones in from Ultra Pro, and I was like, "Those are mine, thank you." <laughs> um, but I want to do a, a couple other ones of my two color decks. These these uh, Guild sleeves from Ultra Pro are really really sweet, and we saw you do the stress test last week.
2: That's right. Yeah, they're they're super strong. They look really good. Yeah.
1: So definitely check those out. Again, Ultra Pro has all of the theme stuff for Guild of Ravnica, including the Shock Clans on playmats and deck boxes, things like that. And the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. You can contribute to us straight away. Our patrons are the best. They get a number of perks. My favorite one is that you get to watch game nights before anybody else. So we do have a really cool game nights that, well, I just alluded to because we shot it this weekend. It's not coming out for uh, about a month. That's about how long post-production takes. But if you join Patreon, you'll be able to watch it before all of your friends. And then you can hold it over their head.
2: Unless all your friends are also patrons.
1: Which I assume they are, because you have good friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, one last thing I want to talk about, I mentioned it last week, I am involved in a charity event with Wait, Card Kingdom. We need
2: to shout out our member. Oh yeah, sorry, That's sorry. why, that's one oh, thing sorry. we do, is yes, we, yes. we shout out our member. And this one's got a cool name. From patron.
1: Yeah, yeah, patron. so one thing we do for Patreon, sorry, is we dedicate each episode to one lucky patron, and this episode is dedicated to... Levi, Levi Lunsford. Lunsford. Levi. You rock. Levi has one of those superhero names. Oh, really? You know, like... The it,
2: double L? Like Peter Parker? Levi well, yeah, Lunsford?
1: Yeah, Levi Lunsford, Lex Luthor, Clark Kent. They. Always you mentioned
2: have. Lex Luthor, the bad guy.
1: Bruce Banner. I'm just... <laughs> well, superhero world name. You could
2: be a villain, Levi. Vicky Vale. That's okay. Don't let Josh put you... <laughs> <laughs> cast type you. You could be a Lex I Luthor if you one, wanted to.
1: Okay, sure. sure <laughs> Levi, whatever floats your boat. Okay, sorry. Back to the charity event thing. So I'm involved in something called the Chalice with Card Kingdom. And the proceeds are going to the Big Sisters and Big Brothers um, of Puget Sound, which is a very good cause. I'm going to be in Seattle on the 20th and 21st of October at Mox Boarding House. A lot of other magic personalities, the professor, Kenji, Ashlyn Rose, Jerry Thompson, James from Loading Ready Run, uh, um, uh, Chris dude, Van Meter.
2: Dude, the list is insane. Yeah. The so, people.
1: We, and if you are following on Twitter, we're doing some activities over Twitter, like we're doing a block draft party i have to build like a modern deck from blocks that i draft it's really you gotta follow along on twitter but also
2: so far i saw and this will be way in the past for them but you picked innistrad as your first thing
1: yes i have m11 and innistrad i have a plan so I don't want to give it away so nobody can, like, this so is Kenji go can't come in like and a block me. <laughs> yeah, still, still. Still. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but my plan doesn't come together if I don't get the d- donation levels to be able to pick in the right spot. So you can help oh. me do well in the charity tournament by going and donating, and that um, link will be in the show notes. Okay. Let's go to our budget, top five budget blue cards.
2: All right. What do we mean by budget? Is, oh, it, yeah. is this a, is this a Josh Lee Quai budget like anything under twenty dollars? I think
1: we we decided <laughs> upon under two dollars. So any no card that we talk about can be over two dollars at the time of this recording.
2: I think that's a good place to be. It's just like you say, like oh, it's a couple bucks. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think most players have access to something they can at least trade in value for. A couple of dollars, you know. Once you start getting about ten dollars, it starts getting a little bit difficult. But yeah. most people, just with like something they don't care about too much, can get a hold of a two-dollar card.
2: I feel like if it reaches a certain level where it's like lunch or a piece of cardboard, I feel I feel kind of mm, you're not in budget that. range anymore. Yeah, you're not in budget range yeah. exactly. So as soon as you're like five, six, seven dollars, I'm like, mm, that's a real, it's a real card we're talking about there. Uh, but a lot of the ones that we're going to talk about today are like $0.25, $0.50. And so we're not always going to be talking about $2 cards.
1: Yeah, we just allowed up to $2 just to... You know, we had I, to set some I kind of limit. I pushed that.
2: I pushed that on one of the cards. Oh, did you? Yeah, I'm like two dollars.
1: My real hope here is that by talking about these cards, we don't push any of them above the two dollars. That's the plan, that isn't it, to, Josh? It sometimes happens, and I can't help that. So you're, you're
2: trying to be a financial mogul <laughs> with two dollar <laughs> cards. With these two dollar no. cards.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the criteria we use before we get into listing the cards, as far as like how we decided which cards were on our list and also what order to place them. So. I don't know about you, but my list five to one, I did place an order of what I thought was like the number one, number two, number three. In yeah, order. I did something similar to that okay.
2: too. Yeah. So what was your criteria?
1: Well, I used three criteria and we discussed this. We did our list separately, but then when we were talking about the criteria, we kind of discussed it and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. So my criteria was the power level of the card, what I considered the bang for the buck, the usefulness of the card in a variety of decks and strategies, So a card could be very powerful, but if it's only good in like one type of deck or one deck I can think of, then it's going to get dinged for that. Doesn't mean it can't be on the list, but it would just be a a mitigating factor. And then the last criteria I used was uniqueness of effect. Basically, is the card easily replaceable by other cards, even if the other cards that replace it are like slightly less efficient or not quite as good? Or um, does this effect stand in for an effect that is otherwise very expensive or very powerful? So a unique effect that, costs a lot of money and this is a budget replacement for it, a close analog. Yeah. Then I would give that sort of some bonus
2: points. Yeah. And so, and you actually placed it in that order. Like the power level is one of the first things that you're thinking about. Right. Uh, I actually use the same criteria as Josh independent of him, but I switched them around a little bit. I put the uniqueness of effect, uh, is one of the top things I'm looking for. I want this powerful effect, but I also want cards that are unique and also, uh, are budget replacements so that your deck can function like those other decks uh, with those powerful, expensive cards.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that our criteria was the same, but we just sort of weighted each area differently. And I think you know everyone's gonna do that to some extent when they're deciding what cards they want. But these are cards that I think your list, my list, you could pick these cards up, they're pretty cheap, and they're gonna be able to do great things in a lot of your decks.
2: Totally. Uh, One thing that we also did is we didn't want to just have generic blue cards be the podcast like that's not interesting and that's why we had that criteria of uniqueness but one thing that we wanted to stay away from is just looking at the most played cards on edh rack and picking out the cheap budget blue cards and we can actually notice something by uh, looking at them there are counter spells uh counter arcane denial negate
1: those are all in like the top Those, 20 or exactly. so. Exactly. Those yeah. are all
2: budget counter spells, all in the top 20 of most played blue cards. Uh, we don't want to be suggesting cards you're already playing in your decks and that are already everywhere. Uh, another thing that we see over and over again is the card draw. So we saw Brainstorm, Factor Fiction, Ponder. All of these card draw spells, again, repeated over and over again and very budget-friendly cards.
1: I think also that sort of... It speaks to one of our criteria, the uniqueness of the effect. You know, Counterspell, Arcane Denial, Negate very similar cards, honestly. Like, let's say you have a Counterspell, or you don't have a Counterspell in your deck, and I say, hey, go pick up a Counterspell, and you put it in instead of a, I don't know, uh, Cancel, which just basically the same card, but it just costs one less. How much better is your deck?
2: I mean, it is better. You can measure it by one mana, but... Like I mean but that's, your win percentage
1: <laughs> percentage is probably almost identical, right? Unnoticeable I would say. Yeah, and I would like even that.
2: argue some people would argue that some of those 3 mana counter spells like what's the new one that surveils? It's right. early on in the set. There's a new 3 mana counter counter target spell, Surveil. That's at least
1: close to equal to counterspell.
2: And like I don't even the people can argue that that one's even better. So how good is counterspell really?
1: But to me, that's just not a really good way to improve your deck that much Mm -hmm. because you're playing so much in the margins with cards like that. So any effect that there's just a lot of it, I think any single one of those can fill in. And so each one of them is just kind of less valuable regardless of the price because, well, I can have any of these 10 things that do sort of this effect. And so, uh, again, also just not fun to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So... Number five. I guess we should do my five, then your five, and then work our way towards one. Yeah. Okay. So my number five. Hold on. Let me fire it up on my phone here so I read it correctly. All right. My number five is Insidious Will. This is a card I've actually been finding myself putting in more and more decks. So it's two blue blue for an instant. It says choose one. Counter target spell. Or you may choose new targets for target spell. Or copy target instant or sorcery spell you may choose new targets for the copy. So it's a counterspell, it's a redirect, or...
2: Twincast. Twincast, sorry. The blue, 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 one. Blue, yeah, yeah. Um, That's so flexible. Now, granted, it costs two more than each one of those spells, counterspell, redirect, twincast. Right. But having choice when you need it is amazing. I put this in a similar
1: category to um, Cryptic Command and Mystic Confluence. Now, it's not the exact same, but... It can fill a a similar role in that you have a flexibility on a counter spell. You have the ability to, you know, a lot of times you're like, you pass. And if it's a board wipe, I'm going to counter it. But if it's a single target removal spell, well, I'm going to redirect it to something else. And if somebody says, well, I'm going to play this spell that draws me a bunch of cards or does some effect that I want, takes an extra turn, oh, well, I want one of those. And that package... Or
2: you play a spell and you want to copy your own spell.
1: Yep. That's also definitely something that you can do. Although four mana makes it pretty difficult.
2: But yeah, this is just a
1: really, really good card. And I've even put it in decks that have Crypto Command or Miss Confluence. Like it, it can go alongside those. It's not always just replacing those.
2: So we have raw power level. We also have an important effect that you need. And it kind of subs in for some of those expensive cards that we were talking about. Like... Uh, The Cryptic Command and Mystic Confluence. It sounds like it fits our criteria perfectly for a strong card.
1: Yeah, there's not a specific deck that it necessarily goes into. I mean, a big mana deck that's casting big X spells would maybe want the fork part a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But in general, like these modes are all pretty good and you're going to use them in, you know, to some degree you're going to want them in any kind of deck you're playing.
2: I also like that this fulfills a role of blue, it's counter, but it's also that tricky aspect. Blue has this fun trickiness to it where it's mm-hmm. like you never know what's going to happen. And if your spell just fizzles, whatever. But the redirect, oh, man, that's where you really, really have those fun moments. All right. My number five. Jimmy, a Jimmy favorite. Ooh, is Ixadron. Three blue blue for a star star illusion. When Ixodron enters the battlefield, turn all other non-token creatures face down. They're two, two creatures. That's the reminder text. Ixodron's power and toughness are each equal to the number of face down creatures on the battlefield. This is a creature based board wipe, but it board wipes in the most unique way possible. This takes care of hexproof, indestructible, commanders yeah commanders just get flipped face down they don't go to the command zone
1: yeah they're just their sitting abilities there are off
2: as blank tutus
1: funnily enough they still deal commander damage
2: that is that is funny yeah
1: <laughs> it won't matter because they're a tutu <laughs> with no abilities but still uh this was played to great effect by jimmy in one of our game nights episodes the one with uh gabby sparks and kenji numatanami egashira this card is ridiculous when i saw it on your list i was like oh man it. why did i not think of that yeah, if you copy it, well then Gabby copied it five times. It's not legendary, uh, but also you can you know you can bounce it. You can oh, flicker yeah. it. so you can sort of keep this effect. Um, Vinny loves it in his uh, morph deck because I mean
2: that's just that's real synergy right there. But okay. I think it's not even bad in non-morph decks. Oh yeah, you never not, have a morph at all.
1: Not at all. And we should talk about. I think that there's some some things people get confused about this card. Okay. So let's say I have a board full of creatures. You play that. It flips over my creatures you cannot flip them back over they're not morphs or manifest they're not
2: yeah they're not manifest yeah. and in, if they are a morph you can unmorph them
1: yes exactly a morph card doesn't care how why it's face down it just cares that it is and then you can use that ability but if it doesn't have morph then you can't flip it up i, th- I think a lot of people think yeah cuz manifest, manifest. kind of
2: confused a lot of people with how exodron works nope they're stuck there as face down Two two creatures. Yeah,
1: unless you can blink it or bounce it back to your hand or or put it in your graveyard and then bring it back out, like, yeah, it. A lot of things are just like, oh
2: crap. So this replaces or this fills the role of a lot of different, much more expensive board wipes that deal with problematic situations. Uh, Cyclonic Rift is better than this but this can answer some questions or some issues that cyclonic rift might have trouble with. Yeah. This shuts down commanders really well and there are so few cards in our format that do that now.
1: And there are certain colors that just have a really a much harder time with this kind of lockdown on their commander than as if you had killed it or put it back in their hand oh, yeah. or put it back in the command zone. Certain ones are like, "Okay, well I can't sack it and I can't blink it." Uh you know, what will happen, and you'll notice this on game nights, is that two of your opponents can kind of team up and be like, hey, I'll attack my commander yeah. into you, and then you block with your commander, and we'll both get our commanders back into the command zone. That's
2: fine. If, if you kind of board wipe them, and then they have to engineer yeah. attacks and blocks to work together against you, then, yeah, like, it's you, fine. your card has been powerful enough to have two players team up. It's a powerful effect.
1: Yeah, I like Exodrawn a lot. And when you do get into those situations where you're blinking it or replaying it, it can be miserable. You're just like, oh, my creatures are never going to turn face up, right? Uh, Yeah, I dig it. Okay, my next one is Stroke of Genius. I've mentioned this card on the podcast uh, quite a few times. I play it in, I don't want to say all, but (laughs) almost all decks with blue in it. It's a blue Two generic and X. A weird casting cost. It's an instant and it says target player draws X cards. So you play a blue, two, and then... So it's three mana on its base and then whatever you pump into it, that a target player will draw that many cards. Normally it's
2: you drawing the card. So it's four mana draw a card. Right. That doesn't sound very good.
1: Doesn't sound good. Doesn't (laughs) sound good. It is 12 mana draw nine cards though. (laughs)
2: That's right.
1: Yeah. And with forks and insidious wills and other things that can get out of hand, Um, you know, or infinite mana situations. This is a game winner because you pointed at your opponent. So they have to draw, you know, you say you draw 970 cards. You know, they obviously can't do that. This, and it's an instant. I think if this card was a sorcery,
2: because there is this card as a sorcery, yeah. like a uh, Brain Geyser,
1: Brain Geyser, which is actually harder to cast. because yeah. it's blue, blue, blue. Uh, there's a, no,
2: there's so there's blue, blue, oh, blue, and blue Bra- is Brain, Geyser. Is Brain Geyser, but then also blue, there's blue the one that shuffles back in. Yeah, blue, sunsene. And blue suns is
1: is still very, very good. I like Stroke of Genius better, but I think if if it said sorcery, I I think I would play it like one third to one quarter as much.
2: I don't think I would play it at all. Yeah, but it's
1: yeah. so good because and again, it's in blue. I think this is in, you know. Maybe if this is in white or in green uh, where I don't have a lot of other instant speed options, it's not as good, right? Because blue is often just like, okay, go. I'll figure out what I'm doing during your turn, depending on what you do. And one of the things when nothing bad happens is I'll just draw a bunch of cards. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think Josh hit on an important part about this specific card in Commander. A lot of times we see cards that are really low casting costs to be able to draw those cantrips, the preordain and ponder and uh, brainstorm and all this other stuff. Those are way better in other formats where you can't get up to the 12 mana that Josh mentioned. Later on in Commander, all of those cantrips, they might give you some value as they churn through your deck, but this gives you so much more raw card advantage. It really matches with our format better than some of those other little very simple effects that only give you card selection and maybe those can trip effects
1: yeah i think the fact that this does have dual usage as a finisher and i've killed many mm-hmm. people with stroke of genius before that's how i like my cards to work right in a modest situation draw four cards it's not the end of the world is it the most efficient thing no but it's it's not bad in a good situation draw 10 cards is great and in a great situation kill my opponent
2: one thing that i like as well is that this might be the best version of the draw card there is no other version that's better than it yeah you know what i mean like you're thinking like i need to draw a massive amount of cards at instant speed because i'm gonna have a huge amount of mana that is the card you go to there's not like a 10 dollars version that we're all avoiding because it's too much outside the budget
1: yeah i mean sphinx's revelation maybe which is harder to cast and it's in two instant, color can't yeah. go in the same things it gains you a little bit of life but honestly Stroke of Genius can be better in a lot of instances because when with cost reduc- reductions, that two colorless can go away in a lot of different decks.
2: You're thinking of Mizics, aren't you?
1: Mizics, and, and and there's other things that sort of reduce the colorless cost of a spell. Mm. A lot of those... Baral or yes. Chase's
2: Sanctum, yeah. uh, which a lot of Spellslinger decks that would play an instant speed draw spell would play.
1: But I definitely have this card in, in decks that don't have that stuff too. Mm. So it's just, it's just you you feel pretty good when you have this in your hand.
2: Nice pick, Josh. I okay. like it.
1: Let's let's go to your number four.
2: My number four is...
1: Oh, this is a good one.
2: Diluvian Primordial. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Diluvian <laughs> Whenever Primordial... this
1: actually lands, it's just like, oh, crap.
2: Is five blue blue for a five-five avatar with flying. And when Diluvian Primordial enters the battlefield, for each opponent, you may cast up to one target instant or sorcery card from that player's graveyard without paying its mana cost... If a card cast this way would be put into Graveyard this turn, exile it instead. This is built for our format.
1: This thing is bonkers. Oh
2: my gosh. We're You're playing at a four-player table. That means you get a 5-5 five, five Flyer for seven, but then you cast three spells. If you cast a Ramp spell, sure, why not? You cast a Card Draw spell, sure, why not? But this has the top end of casting things like Rise of the from the dark realms. I've seen that happen. Yeah, I've seen it happen too. Or just the cards that you desperately need. It's so amazing. And this is another um, example, kind of like Stroke of Genius, of maybe we see cards that are, hey, it's a creature that's got some value tacked onto it. It's a good card. But then you take it up to commander levels, and it really, really gets pushed. Uh, Mold Drifter is a great card that right. we, we play all the time. It's another one of these cards that's kind of in that top thirty budget cards. Uh, but I'm kind of like thinking, well, Mold has got kind of a ceiling there. It only can get so good. Right. Diluvian Primordial.
1: It can straight win you the boom! game.
2: Boom! It just goes all the way to the top. Boom! It has and it does that other cool thing that Blue does too, which is like messing with your opponents. Yeah. Messing with them, taking their spells for your own. I I just think it's great.
1: I like cards when they're expensive like this that you actually don't want to... Expensive mana cost, CMC. Mm -hmm. You actually don't want to cast Diluvian Primordial on turn three or four, right? It's unlikely to get you anything good. So it's the type of effect that, yeah, I actually want to wait for it so I don't actually feel when I'm holding it Like, it's holding me back, exactly. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? I mean, the 5-5 flyer part would, of course, be good on turn three, but it's commander. It's not going to be that great. I really need some things to happen, some mill to happen, some people to cast some stuff, and then I drop this down, and yeah. I mean... I've seen games where it's oh, they I, literally just like, yeah. "Well, that's it. Like yeah, it we wins. lose." It
2: just wins the game. <laughs> yeah, I've I've hit uh, Rise from the Dark Realms, and uh, what's the one that gives you time stretch?
1: Yeah, before I, that's what I was just gonna say. Maybe was I in the game with you when you? Did I don't that? know because I have a, I definitely have seen <laughs> a Rise from the Dark Realms into a um, an extra turn spell, which was just, just like, oh,
2: everyone's just like. yeah crap no you just cast like 20 mana worth of stuff i think the best part is that you're just kind of say like all right you look around you're like all right guys what's in those graveyards everyone's kind of like oh man what is it this time what is it and you go through the graveyards and you just kind of go shopping through your opponent's graveyards i love it
1: the all, all the primordials are good but that one's really good and it's in the blink colors again yeah so that is i you know I've I seen people reuse is, it, and, and it just gets a
2: I think that this it's is one of the powerful. best ones. Like yeah. this one and Sepulchral Primordial are...
1: Those are probably the top two. The yeah. top two. Yeah.
2: Um, Sylvan Primordial might have been the top one until it was banned.
1: Until it was banned, yeah. yeah. Okay, number three? Is that what we're on? Number three. All right, my number three is a very powerful card, and there's an entire legacy deck built around it. For whatever reason, I don't see it a lot in Commander, and I think more people should probably play it. I think more budget players should probably play it, honestly, because as a budget player, you need a little more explosivity than a non-budget player. Hmm. I I think you need a little bit more surprise, and you might be willing to give up a little bit of value because... You might have
2: more variance, but you want to grab onto that variance because you might not have that val that long-term value that you're talking about. If There's you're playing in a group cards. and
1: like, you know, the other people in your group or or a couple other people have like very expensive cards, eventually they're gonna draw those cards the longer those games go on, right? And so if you have a chance to sort of have a spiky spiky, that means competitive, to have like a high variance play like you said, mm-hmm. and it just shortens the game sometimes. That could give you more wins. You could steal wins. And this card is a Steelwinds type of card. Also, in competitive EDH, it's just a Winds type of card. It's high tide. It's one blue for an instant. Very cheap card, 50 cents or so. Until end of turn, whenever a player taps an island for mana, that player adds blue mana to his or her mana pool. So, it makes all your islands tap for two blue, basically. Or, if you have dual lands, they will tap for, it's whenever you tap an island for mana. So, if you tap a volcanic for a red, you can also you'll also get a blue, Mm -hmm. because it's a mountain island or the steam vents or whatever it works with those things that have lands we've got a lot more lands there's the cycling lands that have, yeah, land, types have land types now yeah, yeah I, I would say if your deck is three color or more high tide's probably out you probably can't do it yeah. you need to have a pretty easy scenario where it gives you at least four mana it costs one and then it's just dark ritual mm. and that's fine but that's at the low end that's fine. Like you're going to get four mana sometimes, and that might be enough for you to do something explosive, but sometimes you get 10.
2: I can see how this is like you're describing a a high variance play, very explosive, a little bit risky because you are using a card to get this effect. Yes. And so you better get a lot of mana and a lot of acceleration to make it worth you being down a card.
1: And another downside of the card is it's, it's, it's symmetrical. So islands your opponent's tap for mana. It says whenever a player taps an island for mana. Mm. So you have to be careful with that too because blue is kind of the most played color or it's at least tied with green, I'd say. And so you have to look around and be like, what untapped mana is out there because I don't want
2: to be giving you- <laughs> Does Josh have Ori out yeah. in a bunch of untapped islands? Yeah. So
1: yes, there's downside, but the upside is huge. The upside is I get basically an extra turns worth of mana right now, which means that I can leapfrog and make my play, my game-winning play, or the one where I lock up the game, a turn early.
2: That's a great way of saying it. You know, a lot of times we've talked about the critical point in a game is when you can play multiple spells a turn, or when you can sort of double spell, and this kind of jumps you a turn ahead because you invest one blue, and then suddenly, boom, you have double the mana, and you can jump that extra turn ahead and really commit to the board, really make your big play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's also can be good. It's an instant, so Stroke of Genius or something, you know, once in a while, you're just like, I'll just use this to draw three extra cards, and then it's not, you know, it's not losing a card. Blue's also the card draw color, and in general, you could afford more to waste a card on just mana than, say, red or white could. The same card in red or white, not as good. The losing of that card is just, it hits you harder than if you're in blue.
2: I agree, I agree. Okay. Okay, my number three is another powerful flyer. It's Tidespout Tyrant. <laughs> Cards ridiculous. Five blue, blue, blue for a 5-5 Flying Djinn. And whenever you cast a spell, return target permanent to its owner's hand.
1: Return target permanent. Permanent. Yeah. And
2: the spell doesn't have to resolve either. It's just casting spells. So this does cost a lot of mana to hit the battlefield. A lot. Eight. And it's hard to cast spells after you've paid eight to get this on the battlefield. But this has so much potential for just controlling the game after that. I love that it's also just any permanent. So you can save your own stuff, rebuy your own spells, save your Tide Spout Tyrant. So when you start getting a certain critical mass of mana, you can just start gaining value and bouncing things all over the place. It's an incredibly powerful effect.
1: Yeah, and blue does have a lot of those low cast cost stuff we were talking about—the brainstorms and the ponders and the things like that—that that are highly played, also cheap. They're great with a card like Tide Spout Tyrant because you can bounce stuff, and also, like you said, you can you can use those now to save the Tide Spout Tyrant when they go after it, and that means you maybe have to hold one or two mana open, um, and then if they don't do that. The fact that it bounces lands is because I've definitely been (laughs) in games where like I got Tide Spout Tyranted off the battlefield because they just went there goes that land. There goes that land. There goes that land. And I'm like, okay well, I have two lands. (laughs) like I'm not winning this game now.
2: (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. I love it. I love it. Oh, gosh. Uh, Another thing is that this was just reprinted in Battle Bond. And so uh, what used to be a $4 card is now a 50 cent card. good stuff
1: yeah that's true because i was like is that two dollars like when you put it on the list i didn't realize yeah
2: because a little while ago it was kind of like you're like it's like a fringe card it's kind of cool but it's like way too much money for the effect it is because it is an eight cmc creature yeah uh so you were like "Eh, maybe not and then battle bond comes out and suddenly it's a 50 cent card but people don't know to give it a try in their cool decks
1: i know why you like it braids
2: I, it is in my brain stuff. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, bra- I braids it out and yeah. then I play a few and spells. A and spells. I bounce all of their braids stuff.
1: Oh, you're like, what would you braids it? Okay, well, no, it's back to your yeah, hand it's now. Back to your hand. <laughs> you monster. Okay, my next one is one that we talked about on the episode. We had the Magic Man Stam- Sam from Rhystic Studies on, and this is a card that stands in for Force of Will. I guess this is. Here of I am. Is an I've card. got a. I've got a card that stands in for Cryptic Command and Mystic Confluence, and now I've got a card that stands in for Force of Will. And you know, hey, listen,
2: you like those effects and they're I powerful.
1: Don't, and I don't have unlimited Force of Wills. Like I don't know. I know people think we have.
2: We well, have card. alliances. Force of wills. Yeah. So <laughs> unlimited.
1: I have. I have a couple Force of Wills, but. I have 30 EDH decks. I don't have Force of Will's for all those decks. And Foil is my replacement in a lot of them. Now, it's kind of like High Tide. You need to be in a deck with a high amount of blue in it. I don't think three color and onward maybe can play it. Maybe mm-hmm. three. It's two blue blue for an instant. It says, you may discard an island card and another card rather than pay Foil's mana cost, and then you counter target spell. So like Force of Will, you have to discard a card, but in this case you have to discard two, and one of them must be an island. Mm-hmm. That is a real downside. There will be times when you can't cast foil that way, which is okay because a lot of those times you can still just pay the four and cast it. I think people forget, like, listen, that's not what you want to do.
2: But it's still there, and right. that's still a fine counterspell.
1: And you have to think of why is Force of Will so good? And the answer is Spout Tyrants or its equivalent. You want to make a big play. Mm-hmm. You want to protect the play. The difference between playing Tide Spout Tyrant when you have 8 mana and playing it when you have 10 mana so you can protect it oh, huge. is 3 or 4 turns sometimes. Yeah, That's a really big difference in the game. So much more can have happened from your opponent. They're ready for it. If you do something and you can do it as early as possible and protect it, that's often enough to win the game. And that's why Force of Will is so powerful. And Foil can do exactly what Force of Will does in that instance.
2: In a lot of situations, you don't want to just spew your Force of Will in the early game. You want to, like you said, use it to protect something. A lot of times you've engineered the situation where you need to use Force of Will. You can also engineer foil where yep. you have the win in hand. You have a lot of cards. You've been saving the island to pitch. And so you're engineering this win condition and that really fulfills the same role as a lot of these free counter spells.
1: When you do pull that off, it's the same as Force of Will. Yeah, right. It's the exact same. So how many cards in the history of magic can can do that? They're all expensive. Pact of Negation is the only really other one I can really think of. Yeah. And so zero mana counter your
2: thing. Pretty good. And you mentioned as well uh, with High Tide that blue doesn't cringe at that loss of card advantage as much as other colors do. And so some people might be going like, oh, two cards for one. Yeah, that's not good. You know, we're not saying that this is a great rate, but blue can handle it better than other colors.
1: And again, you don't always have to do that. Sometimes, just pay the four. You're not, di- totally. you're not ditching any cards. All right.
2: My number two card.
1: This is a good one. In fact, this is the only one that when we put the list together was shared. I actually preemptively removed it from my list because I knew it was going to be on yours. But if, if it, let's say I was doing this with Jimmy or somebody else, then it probably would have been on my list.
2: It's so good. I
1: don't know if I would have had it at number two, though. You really like oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh,
2: no. I think it's amazing. <laughs> this card is Future Sight. Uh, two blue, blue, blue for an enchantment. Play with the top card of your library revealed. You may play the top card of your library. So simple.
1: Sounds so innocuous.
2: So powerful. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk card advantage. Let's talk about yep. enchantments that give us card advantage. So if we're talking about other colors, we have things like. Rexian Arena, or maybe in blue even we have like the Howling Mine effects, like the Dictative Crufix. Yep. Uh, those do give you some card advantage, but so few cards can actually give you multiple cards a turn. And even though Future Sight doesn't have that literally written on it, you can play a land from the top of your library. Just like Oracle of Moldiah, you know, just like uh, Corsair of, of uh, Crufix. Crufix. Yep. So we have that going in blue. Then you also have the ability to play multiple spells from the top of your library. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to impact the top of your library with cards like Aminatu or Brainstorm or Fetchlands. By the way, Divining Top becomes insane. Yes. Because Divining Top, you tap it to draw a card and put the top back on top. And it oh, costs guess what one, happens. I can play it. Yeah. Top costs one. You play it off the top of your library and then suddenly you're one extra card deeper. Yep. So it becomes one mana draw, a draw card. card. Yep. Uh, how about how about this little combination for you? Possibility storm, three red red for an enchantment. Josh doesn't know this because it's like a goofy card. Yeah, I'm like wait, uh, three red red for a for an enchantment. Yeah. And basically, you might know this, you play a card, like you play but a sorcery, plays, yeah. yeah. and you're like, oh no, you don't get to play that sorcery. You have to then go through your deck, and then you cast the next sorcery that you hit. Oh, uh,
1: because you can look at the top card, you know what it is. No,
2: when you play cards off the top of your library, you're not playing them oh, from your hand. Oh, it
1: says from your hand. This
2: gets around all the things that shut off playing cards from your hand. Oh, so this is just me. <laughs> so this is a lock piece in many of these weird corner case combos, where suddenly you're shut off from playing cards from your hand. But if you're playing from the top of your library, you get around it.
1: That's interesting. I like this card a lot. I, uh, the downside, I think, is that sometimes there's double land on top and you're only allowed to still play one land for a turn. Mm-hmm. Or you can get stuck with, like, a large spell. Like, if Tide Spout Tyrants is on top and you played Future Sight on turn five, then you might not have the mana to cast it, in which case it can draw you zero cards sometimes. But then yep. there are times when you're like, you know, brainstorm, put something back down there. Cast that, cast the next thing, cast the next thing, and you're like, I drew four cards off this. And thing. think
2: about what this what this kind of feels like. It feels a little bit like kind of like Sylvan Library or Oracle of Moldiah or Course of crucifix like you're, all awesome cards. We're naming we're naming insane cards that yeah. cost a lot of money. Uh we're naming these effects that draw you multiple cards a turn, and this costs a quarter.
1: It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't see it as much as I probably should.
2: I never see it.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen it a few times, but it's pretty it's pretty rare, yeah.
2: I mean, there are downsides because it is triple blue. True. That's a cost. It's five mana. It is. It's slow. It's five mana. One thing that's really good is that if you can play it on five, sometimes uh, you can play that land on top or you sometimes yeah. you can, get the in, the late, right in away. the late game, you can get some value right away rather well, than Well, if you some already cards. have top, you
1: well, can. I mean, well, top if, is often going to come out like before it if yeah. you have it. And so then you can set up for a turn, a turn, you know six where you play it first play the land off the top you already drew the card off of it you're kind of like you're safe kind of in that territory yeah i get it i mean unless you're just gonna get mauled (laughs) in response for doing nothing but that's not often in commander yeah i like that card a lot i mean when it's out there it's very powerful i i don't know why i don't see it more you guys can all solve that play it more okay we're down to our number one this is your number one you i'm a number one guy we haven't said that in a while okay Mine is, I don't know why this card is so cheap. Is, has it been reprinted a lot?
2: You're looking at a reprint right now.
1: That's an expensive <laughs> reprint. For whatever reason, when you bring it up on Gatherer, the invocation reprint comes up. Um,
2: Ooh, there's, there's a hint for what card Josh is talking about.
1: Have you guessed it yet? What is the budget $2 that there is an invocation version of? Actually, there's a few uh, cards that were sort of cheaper, I think, in the invocations, yeah. which is one of the reasons they stopped doing it. Okay. It's capsize. It's one blue blue for an instant. It has buyback three, which means if you pay three in addition to its casting cost when you cast it, instead of putting it in the graveyard, you return it to owner's hand. And then it says return target permanent to its owner's hand. So it's a boomerang. But if you pay six, then you can just do it again for six and do it again. And this is, I mean, another card that nearly all blue decks that I play will play capsize.
2: I think any deck that can generate infinite mana, this is a win condition. Yep. Because you just bounce everything because it says permanent. Yep. See how powerful this is compared to Tidespout Tyrant? Like, I like Tidespout Tyrant. It's a fun card. It, like, interacts with stuff. It's a big, dumb creature. This thing is crazy.
1: (laughs) It's, yeah, it's also, I often use capsize just for the three mana to save myself, you know. Somebody's playing a Xenagost deck or something and you're just like, I have this in my hand. That means it'll be difficult for me to die from them. I don't know that they're going to attack me or whatever, but if they do, it'll save me from that. But if not, I won't use it now, and I'll save it until I have 6, 12 mana. And then once you do, if you're engineering a situation where you're sitting on your mana like I like to do and waiting till the end of turns to do things, you're just like, well, at the end of this turn, I'm just going to bounce two of your lands. Go to my turn. That's untenable for your opponent. This card will win you the game's Even without going infinite, I think people think, "Oh, I have to generate infinite mana for this to be good." Not true at all. Not true at all.
2: I mean, it's great. I mean, you just win if you generate infinite mana, which is which is for the top end of a card is awesome. Yeah, but
1: it's. I think. I think it. I mean, I just can't understand why it's not a little bit spendier. Why it's.
2: Yeah, let's let's talk about like because you just mentioned this. It's like base level. uh, Save me from marauding huge creature that's going to smack me in the face or Craig's infect creature.
1: Doubling Season, um, because it is target permanent. I think if it was just Creature 2, it would be way worse. But Nev's Disc.
2: So that's the baseline. Yeah. And then the top end is like, well, if I get in the right situation, I just win the game.
1: Yeah, this card, yeah. That's flexibility. It and it also in the middle, it's still good to do it just twice. You know, there's there's been certainly games where I'm like, buy it back once with I only have three mana left. Just cast it again. And that's just going to get me what I need. And now like your recovery time is just you you can't win now.
2: This also interrupts a lot of combos. I yep. think that's really strong too is that people try to assemble their combination and then you're like, yeah, I'll just say we'll I'll save us all and yeah. then you bounce something.
1: I'll bounce something, yep. Yeah. Love this card. You feel so safe when you have it. I like cards that make me feel safe. <laughs> it's funny people get this idea that I'm like Mr. counterspell player or something. Where it's like, if Josh,
2: you-, you do have uh, two counter spells on this. Yeah, almost. where
1: you've played with me though, I'm not a counter everything type of player. No, you're I'm not. very much a pinpoint, wait, like, oh my gosh, I need to laser beam that thing. But I- everything else you're doing, I'd let happen until the moment that.
2: By the way, that's how you should play counter spells if you want to <laughs> win more games. I'm being totally honest. Like when we th- when we talked about one of my first episodes on here, my first episode on here was playing control. Right. You don't just spew counter spells all over the place. People hate you. And you're not using the card advantage to your to your right. own advantage, uh, so you need to target your counterspells, and that's the way Josh plays, and that's what cards like this do for you.
1: And I would say that most of my decks have fewer than four counterspells. It's like Swan Song foil, um, maybe an Insidious Will. Huh? You know, maybe regular. Maybe that's a, regular, a good, a that's regular a good package spell. right there. Yeah, and it's good. And I'm just using it. You know, I'm going to save myself one time or protect my thing one time. And that's why I'm not going to use it, you know, until I really, really have to. Because I don't have a lot of them. Yeah. Okay. All Sorry. right.
2: My number one card. Uh, this this card hits the uniqueness scale. I had to
1: look this card up.
2: This card hits the uniqueness oh, scale. Man, this is also better. the card that's like just there at the $2 mark. Uh, and so Card Kingdom has some for sale for one eighty eight. It's old. So hopefully they don't get all bought out. And then people get angry that this is a $2.25 card. But well, by the I mean, way, it's at this time of recording, you can buy it for under $2. And honestly, I think that it is a good pickup. And I'm going to talk about the card.
1: Like you said, they're never going to reprint they're it.
2: They're never going to reprint this. <laughs> this card is Quicksilver Fountain. It's an artifact. And for three mana, it says, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player puts a flood counter on target non-island land he or she controls. That land is an island as long as it has a flood counter on it.
1: Not in addition to its other types. It's just an island it now. just
2: turns it into an island. Yeah. At the end of turn, if all lands in play are la- are islands, remove all flood counters from them. So a At the few beginning of each player's
1: on. turn, they turn one of their lands into an island. Yeah. One of their non-island lands into an island. Yeah. So they can't just like make an island an island again.
2: So by the way, and it also says that uh, If all lands in play are islands. So if you're playing a deck full of, by the way, this can go in any deck. Yeah. Oh, you You have to do it too. Yeah. This is, yeah, you have to do it too. This can go in any deck, but I put it in the blue section because you don't want this to be a symmetrical effect where it's like destroying your mana base as it's destroying theirs.
1: You want to be like, I need blue mana. So I don't care.
2: Yeah. So you could just start, you can just have all islands and then you don't add any flood counters or who cares? You put a few flood counters down, but what does this do? it slowly chokes your opponent of it's their like utility a slow lands blood moon. of their yeah it's a <laughs> slow blood moon uh, but also i love that it is like just slowly spreading islands and by the way this is a multiplayer game people are not going to stop playing lands they can't afford to in other formats you play this and people are like oh my uh, all right i guess and they stop playing a couple lands and then this thing goes away mm-hmm. uh, actually this this it doesn't go away this it just doesn't sort go of resets away. the effect it resets the effect and by the way, if they're like, "Oh, I'm just going to blow it up," I blow that up, and they go to remove the flood counters Mm-mm. from their lands. No, no, those are islands permanently.
1: Unless you could remove the counters with other means, I guess. <laughs> if you could, like, you what's the, flood the like, thief around? of blood or whatever? Oh Emperor man, hexmage. I mean, that'd be
2: pretty great. <laughs> thief, dude, you should play this with a thief of blood in your own deck so you
1: can t- <laughs> wombo combo. <laughs>
2: This all right, I'm going to give you guys all your lands back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what do I like about this card? I like that it's a really <laughs> interesting like effect.
1: <laughs> it is unique.
2: Um, and it kind of answers some of the, the wildness that exists in lands without being as mean as Blood Moon or Ruination. Right. Or some of the other effects that really try to keep lands in check. This uh, kind of tries to address... The land problem in a completely different way, and I like that. Uh, and I also like the idea of slowing all of your opponents down and uh, being a little bit miserable as they have to decide which land to turn into an island. <laughs> and by the way, you might I'm so happy about it You might think, you, I know, you might think that if they're oh, like a lot of people play Islands, like this isn't that good. Well, if they have Islands, then and they're playing more than one color, which most people do. Most people don't play monocolor. So let's say they're playing an Azorius deck. They can't be flood countering their existing islands. So they right. have to start getting rid of all of their white mana slowly and cutting their deck off faster than your opponents do.
1: Yeah, that's true. Because if you're like red green, you can be like, okay, on this one I yeah, place yeah, it on, I'm mountain, gonna do on a mountain, on this one I do it on a forest. But exactly. if you're like green w- or blue white, you're like, well, I have to put it on a plains this time. There on goes my plains. white mana. Yeah, yeah, on a
2: plains, on a plains, on a plains. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, added bonus uh, if you play cards like uh, boil.
0: Tsunami. But then again, it hits tsunami. you to a
2: tsunami. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, And also throw in another bonus card, uh, trophy mage. Another budget card gets you your quicksilver.
1: It gets you your three CMC. Gets your
2: three CMC artifacts. Gets your
1: quicksilver fountain. Gets your
2: quicksilver fountain. Okay. <laughs> wow. I don't. Yeah, I think that would be pretty good. It's uh, it's more fun and unique than than really good. I think it can be amazing; has the potential to be amazing, but a lot of the cards on your list might be more immediately powerful. Whereas Quicksilver Amulet might be more of a unique angle for. Well,
1: you did say that you weighted the uniqueness. I did, yeah. I weighted so that makes sense. First, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for our top budget blue cards. To the listeners, what is the budget? Remember. We're staying under $2 here. What is the budget blue card that you love, but that we didn't talk about?
2: There are a lot of them. My list was pretty long and I had to just cut stuff and it made me, made me sad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had... Probably about 12 cards when, when I started. Mm-hmm. Future Sight got to go, so that was an easy cut. But Well, that means maybe we can do this again someday down the line. I,
2: we could do another episode like right now and still <laughs> we need it. To we, gotta, we
1: need to show the other colors some love before we come back to blue. And we so. got to
2: focus on what we kind of think is the most important for your budget picks. Do you think
1: blue would be the hardest color to do this for? Because there are so many. Because blue is like one of the most powerful. Maybe green would also be hard, but...
2: I don't know. I've I've done budget videos before, mm-hmm. and I've found amazing stuff in all the colors. Uh, I don't know. All right. Well, I we'll, actually we'll, think there's good room to do all of them.
1: Well, we're gonna do all of them eventually oh, here. Oh, so okay, not, not 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 like every episode from now. Like we'll, <laughs> this we'll isn't come like back a thirty-two
2: episode arc, right there. Nah. For the next year, you're gonna be <laughs> listening to cards <laughs> under two dollars. Sorry, Commanders Brew.
1: <laughs> we're taking over your your niche here. Okay. Um, well, if you did like any of these cards and want to get a hold of them. Like uh, DJ said, especially like Quicksilver Fountain or some of the older ones, you might want to go right now to slash command zone, use that affiliate link, order your cards simultaneously, support the show, support game nights. We do really appreciate everybody that does that. And, you know, if you're building a blue deck, if it's two color, then you might want Is It Sleeves, Simic Sleeves, Is Dorius Sleeves, or what's the other one? What did I forget? Uh, Demir Sleeves. You might want those for your deck because they just look really, really cool. We have the Boros ones right here. Classy, elegant, very simple. And as we've shown, high durability. Okay, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. I have something cool. I feel like every time an episode of this podcast comes out, then this that's the end step for, for me. N- not our podcast, but the podcast I'm about to talk about. Okay. Because I've said this before on the show, this is my favorite podcast, including my own. So... <laughs> <laughs> It's hard. I
2: immediately know what it is. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's hardcore history. I talk about it all the time. I have people tweet at me more or less constantly that they finally tried it out at my behest, and it's amazing. And a lot of people are like, I was skeptical because it's got the word history in it, and I don't like history. And I always say it shouldn't be called that. It should be called like something, some kind of story, something story. People
2: stories. also get freaked out when it's like hardcore. It's like, I'm only so-so on history, and this is hardcore history? Yeah, but. Really what it is, is it's his ability to tell a story, to get you in there, to in a time period.
1: It really is like an audiobook. If you like audiobooks, mm-hmm. if you like listening to stories, to people read you stories or tell you stories, then you will like this stuff. And Dan Carlin, who's the guy that does Hardcore History, is just very, very good. Now, the story he's telling happens to be true, but he's great at like grounding it, explaining it, but also keeping it entertaining. He's not like a fuddy-duddy. He's not stuffy in any way. He will make comparisons to, like, pop culture stuff to kind of give you reference for what's didn't going on. Didn't he joke
2: on. around that he mentioned Avengers, like, three times? Yeah, next. exactly. He always <laughs> talks about
1: aliens. Like, well, imagine if aliens came down. It's kind of like that. You know, like, Fact. it's he's, he's very easy to relate to. So even if you don't like history or aren't hardcore into history, I would encourage you to try it out. And they just came out with a new episode. Um, and you didn't even know about it, DJ, because... And this was another reason to mention on the show is that they have two feeds. So on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, there's a Hardcore History feed. But then there's a Hardcore History addendum feed. And the addendum feed has the stuff that Dan, that is sort of like um, shorter or like, a, a, not quite as in depth as like, so what he'll do is he'll do these long series of podcasts and it'll be like four podcasts and each one's like a, three hours long. And the research like an, that yeah. goes
2: into them and the effort that goes into crafting these things has to be insane.
1: He comes out with one like every four months, like that's how, how long it takes. So it's like game nights on steroids. They're great, those are the ones that are like audiobooks, but he also, there's stories in history or things that have happened that. They don't require that amount of time, and he wants to be able to tell those stories too, and take a break from the really long stuff. And so he has this addendum feed, and that's where you can find some of his other stuff. And uh, on this, this one's called "Nightmares of Indianapolis." Have you ever seen Jaws? I mean, yes. There's that great scene in Jaws where like the, the boat captain is talking about he was on the USS Indianapolis and that's... Oh,
2: for a second, I thought you were talking about the city. I was like, where is Josh going with this?
1: Sorry, it's, the, it's, the, it's a ship, the USS <laughs> yeah, Indianapolis. It was torpedoed ship. near the end of World War II and the trials and tribulations of those sailors...
2: Oh my god! It's one
1: of the great sort of shark attack stories in recorded history. In that this ship goes down in tropical waters and these guys aren't like freezing to death. They're out there though. And they were on a secret mission because they were carrying the parts to the A-bomb. I'm feeling like,
2: I know the story. I'm like feeling nauseous. Like as you're describing it, that's how like, like, oh my gosh, like this story.
1: It's crazy. And they just basically, their ship goes down. There's like 1200 of these guys on the ship. They don't all survive when the torpedo hits, but uh, uh, hundreds of them make it out. And then they're in the middle of a school of sharks, literally. And nobody knows they're there. to I mean, nobody knows exactly where they are to come rescue them. And they're there for days. And it's a crazy, crazy true story. So Hardcore History, Dan Carlin doing great stuff. It's really compelling. Um, If you haven't listened to it before, I always say this. Check out the Blueprints for Armageddon series. That is his best one. And it's available still for free on iTunes. So check that stuff out. Another thing to check out while you're on iTunes is the Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, they are modern masters, and they talk about that format and all things competitive magic. They've started doing video recently. They're also helping me out a little bit with this chalice event because I have to build this, like,
2: I have to are build Are you a, bringing in ringers, Josh? Well, I mean, I don't know
1: about modern <laughs> decks and stuff, and I was like, I don't know. Like, can I can I build twin? Can I build pod? Like, what can I build here? I don't know. Like... Help me, guys. What? What
2: can you can you build Pod in this in this deck? Yeah, because you can't build full
1: Modern. We're drafting the sets, so I know. But like, if
2: it's Modern banned, because Pod's banned in Modern, right? It's not.
1: It's not the Modern bad list. It's just you can use any card. You should build
2: Pod. Well,
1: I only have four. I'm only gonna have four sets to work with. So,
2: well, which one's Pod in? That's one set.
1: I have M11 (laughs) and Innistrad right now, and I'll have two more. So you can't build like a full Modern deck. No, you can. You can build like an approximation one, and so now it's a question of like, what deck has the most moving pieces that I can move in from other sets that are like close approximations, so the deck still is good.
2: Yeah. can You in, can, you can put four ofs though in, right?
1: Of any of those sets, yeah. The, oh, any of the four sets that this I have. This is
2: an interesting puzzle. You should yeah. make sure that you're following Josh on Twitter so you can see. How he puts this deck together.
1: Well, a lot of it is Alex and Ben because I'm like, (laughs) guys, I built commander decks. I really am not sure. And they're like, oh, you should do this and you could do this and you could do this and you could do this. And I was like, okay, well, which one should I do? And so there's an entire uh, text message discussion thread every single day about what I should do. But anyway, those guys, they know their stuff. That's an
2: awesome charity event. It's going to be really fun to watch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited for it. So you can check out Alex and Ben at the MM Cast on Twitter, or right next to us at Collected.Company.
2: All right, our editor is Josh Murphy. Murph. Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card animations at Living Cards MTG.
1: Do you know what Thousand card is this is? Thousand Year Storm. Thousand Year Storm. <laughs> That's that. That was uh, the lightning.
2: That was that was the thunder. Oh, no, that was the thunder. No, was, Sorry, I was doing the thunder sound. <laughs>
1: it's pretty sweet. Thank you, Jeffrey, as that always, for looks awesome, it up. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Peace.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Quai. See you later, alligator.